Welcome to Radio Rehab. If you're joining us for the first time, you can go check our backlog, if that's even a word, of of episodes. We've got over 200 episodes, including recent episodes with actor Emilio Estevez and Pat McGee, the director of American Relapse, which is a great movie about addiction that you should all go see. Today on the show, my guest is Dan Kay. Dan is somebody I know from the rooms of recovery, and on today's episode, I get to know him along with you. We find out how he got clean and sober, his struggles with mental health and sobriety, and how he came clean to his family, which is a good story. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to Radio Rehab, Dan. Thank you so much. So let let me hear a little bit about you. Uh, how long have you been sober? I've been sober since September 3rd, 2000 and 2007. So, so, when, so when you got sober, uh, what precipitated that? Was it, did anything, was it like a bad thing that happened or were you just sick and tired of being sick and tired no i i mean what happened was it was like you know i had a roommate that was uh, a heroin addict in recovery and uh, i don't know how often she was going to meetings but she knew the signs and i was living in this apartment that all the all the rooms are like side by side they kind of like the, the corridors my ex-dealer was loud and obnoxious when he would come over and then sometimes he'd bring a horde of people over you know or i'd have bands stay over after like i was booking and promoting shows at the time so sometimes i'd have bands stay over she wasn't happy about that at all so she got to the point where she just like one day she said she would threaten me she said i'm gonna i'm gonna get you evicted i'm gonna let the property manager go i was like yeah, whatever. Because I'd been there for so long. I'm like, I'm like, what's it gonna? It's like the back of my mind was like, what's it gonna take for it? Like, am I ever gonna leave this place? What's it gonna take for people to get rid of me? Because like, it's like, usually most people would like last a year and then like you know, right? Do like a one year list and then they would take off, you know. And I'd stayed there for almost. I moved in in 2003 and then 2007 is when I left. Did Only, you get kicked out? Yeah. So I so that yeah leads me to that. So I ended up getting uh, they called it. It's called a 16 days to quit. What? Uh, I've never heard of this. Yeah, so like a, a messenger came and he like dropped it off from, it's from the the uh, the attorney of, of the property management company. And because uh, I was no longer at this point now dealing with the landlord, I was dealing with that because she had told the landlord and the landlord then contacted the property management company. So it's basically, it's like a warning that they give you to kind of like, all right, you got to get your shit up together and get out. And I, right. Before they start the legal, like the real legal stuff, right? And like I was like, I had to go ahead and like look the stuff up. So yeah, I didn't know really know what that meant. And then so I had to get go through a whole process and get like these extensions and everything like that. So I managed to end up, actually end up not even moving on until like a month and a half later from the time that I actually got this evictionist which is a total miracle and i live in the place that i live in now i have never once used or drank in the place that i live in oh that's awesome now today i don't know if anybody else has ever had it on uh, on them but i've never i've never once and nobody else has ever oh that's so, so. cool that's so cool yeah. i love that yeah, I totally love that. I haven't used a drink in the place I'm in right now. Yeah, but yeah, the one before that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So it. So was it because you got evicted? Was it because you got kicked out? Was that when you were like, I can't live like this anymore? 
I got sober because I was I was getting evicted. So that's why you got, that and then, spawned it. Yeah. How did you start going? How did you start getting? How did you get in recovery? Though? Oh, so. So that, I mean, that's interesting because a lot of people yeah. would have gotten sober and then gotten evicted and then started using, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, had, I obviously had a choice, right? And, like, I, when I got that notice, like, I off, I didn't, like, really think about it. So, I just, you know, ended up like, eh, you know, I was kind of in shock. I knocked on the the girl's door that, and, like, and she's like, you're a junkie, da 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 and, like, you knew this was coming, da 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 I was like, <laughs> and I was in total shock, and I was calling people up, and I was calling up my my mom and my brother and all this, you know, so I had some time to, it was like a Labor Day, I think it was like Labor Day weekend, so it was on the September 3rd, so I guess that weekend prior to September, like it was like August 30th right. uh, or 31st, September 1st, anyways, uh, yeah, so it was like a three-day weekend thing, and I, I said, I, in my mind, I said, okay, I know this, I'm going to have to eventually get sober at this, sometime after this weekend, but I'm going to try and go out with a bang. Which was, and the whole process was just the opposite of that. It was like, I, I, I got to a certain point where I couldn't get any more drunk and I yeah. couldn't get any more high because it was just, I, I reached my, 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 my limit, like my, or my body had just made this conscious decision. It was a really interesting experience and it was like, I never had that before. And I was trying anything. I was like looking for like, I had this like, uh, vitamin b12 powder i guess which is like i know that like you're supposed to like basically you can like cut the drugs with you know and yeah uh, and it, it didn't do anything and i was like so frustrated and um i ended up like even like going on this adult like hookup site to try and hook up with this person that i had talked to that i'd never met before and uh uh I was just went completely impotent, and it was the most, uh, it was the saddest thing I'd ever experienced in my life. Most, yeah. It was a depressing lost yeah. weekend. Yeah, I just like, I was like, well, sorry, I can't perform. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you sure can't, you know? It was like, and like, I guess like that's the, yeah, that's what they call the incomprehensible demoralization, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah. yeah. So that was like the lowest of the low. And so like at that point, I was like, okay. I'm, I'm pretty much done. I can't get any much lower than that. And then, you know, I, I had what I, what you call like the talk, or I, I call it the talk with my folks. They came up to San Francisco and we went to some breakfast place. And uh, my dad had his suspicions, uh, but my but my mom um, just knew that, like, knew what I was going to tell my dad. But, you know, she wanted me, she wanted to be there for the whole thing. And so... So, uh, and my dad comes from a, uh, a family where he's, uh, it's kind of like a godfather thing. Like everybody kind of comes to him for advice and suggestions. Oh, wow. Well, cause he's from the middle East. And oh, so okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's a kind of a different kind of culture and everything like that. And there's a lot of pride. Yeah. Pride. My mom's side of the family is Lebanese. So. Yeah. yeah. So my dad's, my dad's Persian and, uh, so yeah. So anyways, uh, and we had never really had like the best relationship growing up. Like he'd he'd always had. I felt like he'd always had a better relationship with my my, my brother than myself. And uh, and so that was kind of a very scary, tough moment for me. Yeah. And, uh, so I I told told him, and he looked me in the eyes, and I thought it was kind of, I thought he was joking when he said this at first, but it wasn't really a joke at all. He just like said, okay. I said, I, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, so I said to him, 
um, you know, I, 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 I drink a lot, right? You're like, yeah. And I, and I said, why well, also? I'm also addicted to Coke. And he, so he looked at me like cocaine. And I said, yeah. He's like, okay. I feel like I'm going to be sick now. I'm going to go to the bathroom and throw up. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk some more about this and figure out what to do. And I was like, kind of like in total shock because it felt like somebody had punched me in the stomach, you know? And, wow. And uh, so he did. He, he went to the bathroom and he, and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And then he came back and he's like, what can we do for you? And, uh, you know, just a very emotional moment. We all kind of broke down for a minute and started crying. And, uh, and I said, just be there for me. Right. And I, and I, because I, I didn't have really any answers, I didn't know what it was, but I realized at that point in retrospect that I kind of had done the first step at that point, like wow. without really knowing it, you know, because I didn't know what the first step was. And uh, so I ended up calling. Oh, he he has asked me as we were getting into the car. He's like, "Do you need to get into a rehab? You know, do you need us to help you?" That I said, "I said I don't know. I have some friends I think that are in AA. Let me call them, and you know." So I called up this one guy who had actually helped me move into my first place, and we went to uh, what used to be Squat and Gobble in the Upper Hate, and now it's called something else. And uh, and uh, yeah, and then I just basically told him exactly what had happened over the last few days, and if he could take me to a meeting, and he said yeah, and uh, and then so like the next day, like I went to a meeting, and. I didn't. I thought it was gonna be like a bunch of like angry looking dudes, you know, like like twelve angry men or something like that, you know, like a bunch of old guys. Twelve angry men, yeah. Like a bunch of old old dudes that are in their seventies or eighties or something like that, and uh, it was. Like, Dude, it was like that. My first day, I mean, I swear oh, to God, really? it was like it was like angry old men. Yeah, it was total. I was like, oh my god. It was everybody. It was everybody. It was like it was like it was in the mission. I never here. So here's a funny thing. I had never. I don't have a conscious memory. Of ever hanging out in the mission in the daytime, it was always in the nighttime. Right. So I had gone to places like Twelve Galaxies and the Knockout and El Rio, yep. all in the nighttime. Yeah. So going to a meeting in the mission in the in the daytime at twelve o'clock in the afternoon was a completely foreign experience. You know. Right. So, I mean, that's like where I was homeless and where I was addicted was like on 16th and Mission oh, really? and then on, on Cap oh, wow. and then on 24th. So yeah, every time I go to High Noon, I'm like, yeah, this is so weird. That was a meeting. Yeah. That was the, it was when it was on 15th and Julian. So that was. Oh God. Yeah. That was even more. Oh my yeah. God. That area. Yeah. I smoked so much crack on that street that wow. I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to a meeting here. Wow. But now I can I can finally see past it. It's just, it still just gives me the creeps yeah. a little bit to go back there. It's strange. Um, I haven't really gone to the like to where they have it now, but that that location was kind of a special place for my heart because that's kind of like where I where the whole journey kind of started with like the going to meetings, you know. And uh, I just remember like towards the end of the meeting, like you know, I was next to the guy that was my temporary sponsor that said, "Hey, like, why is everybody like volunteering to do stuff? Like, have to mean like, why is everybody volunteering to put away chairs and everything?" And he said, oh, well, they're just trying to be of service and service keeps you sober. And I was like, that made no sense to me at yeah. all. Like, I didn't understand that concept at all. And then I was that guy like maybe four to six months later that was getting involved with service like any way possible, right? right. Like coffee, chairs, either putting away or setting up or anything at all. Like to me, that was a completely lifesaver. And like, so, so yeah. 
Yeah, this time around in recovery, I knew that service was going to save me so deeply that even when I had like two weeks, I was like, come on, you guys, I've been trying to do this since I was a teenager. Like, I've been around. Give me a commitment. So, you know, it's like when you have a couple weeks, they're like, okay, you can clean up the chair. You know, you can like empty the cigarette butts out. Yeah. I didn't do that because I was like, no, I did not quit smoking to touch <laughs> cigarette butts. You know, so I had to be an asshole a little bit about that. I think but, the most humbling one out of all the ones that like had to do during that time was, was the cleanup uh, for, uh, for high noon, like cleaning up the bathrooms. That oh, was, my God. I know that because in, in like people who haven't gone to this meeting or who don't live in the Bay Area who are listening to this show aren't going to understand that. But so just picture a meeting in the area where you go would go buy drugs. Like the nastiest area. Picture just a recovery meeting there where people like people try to wander into any door that's open so they can like fix or use or use the bathroom or whatever. So this meeting has commitments of people who have to watch the bathroom in the front door. It was like when I first put that meeting, they were like, okay, who's going to watch the bathroom for the first 15 minutes? And I was like, what? That's a thing? <laughs> it's because it's funny because I got sober up in Sonoma where that is not a thing at oh, all. Okay. Like not a thing yeah. at all. So it's different. It's like you notice like regionally, it's, it's a little different different everywhere you go it's totally different but it's always but it's also always the same it's like i've i've gone to meetings everywhere i've gone to meetings like in mississippi kind of meetings in louisiana and it's all it's the same you know it's always the same thing that we're talking about interesting and i i know this uh this woman who's about like a million years sober this old lady uh and she said she went like to europe with her husband and that she was going to to meetings over there and even though she didn't speak the language she knew exactly what they were talking about right Right. Like she could tell which word meant police, oh, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, word yeah. meant sober. Yeah. But yeah, it's so let's talk a little bit about mental health and mm. recovery because I think that's something we both deal with. If Absolutely. I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I agree. So when you got put on, you got put on Wellbutrin to quit smoking, did you right. stay on antidepressants? Uh, you know, so I went from Wellbutrin to Celexa. And, no, I was. I remember that. And uh, so I made the transition because they said that you're only supposed to be on it for a certain amount of time. And in addition to that time, when I was, you know, because it was a cessation program through Kaiser, they wanted me to be doing these classes, I guess, kind of similar to like, uh, like during rehab. You saw a doctor? I was, I saw a myriad of different therapists, psycho, psychotherapists, and then I did something called, uh, it was like an OCD group therapy down in Santa Clara. Uh, and, uh, and after like, you know, a few sessions. I had like my I had people staying with me. My brother stayed for me with me for a period of time. My mom stayed with me for a period of time. My mom and dad stayed with me for a period of time. I stayed at my aunt and uncle's for a period of time. All during this time where I was going through these uh, symptoms, having these symptoms of of of. Uh, um, when I look back on it, it it's so crazy that I got through it without using and drinking it because I can see yeah. how people probably would have. That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that usually makes us pick up and use yeah. something like that, you know, where you're feeling uncomfortable so you want to self-medicate because yeah. what is this? Yeah, and I was trying a myriad of different medications. I was going to Kaiser French Campus and, you know, it was a crazy time and like I was trying to still stay within the rooms and still continue going to meetings and yeah, yeah, that's was, really. Did yeah. you find anything that worked? Did you find a medication that worked? Or? So it was. I think you know. So I got back on Celexa at a certain point with the psychiatrist down there in Santa Clara Kaiser, and um, and then I was, I was doing this 
it was, it was group therapy for OCD, and there was this exercise where they said, try writing this thing over and over again to the point where you're desensitizing yourself to what it is that's bothering you. Because after writing a while, it? yeah. So if oh, like so somebody you like write you write down what you're feeling. You write down what the thing that's 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 bothering you, oh, or okay. what's traumatizing you. The more that you write it, the more des you know uh, desensitized you are to it. That's the theory or the I guess behind the exercise. So I just decided after this group session, I was going to go for a walk and think about that. You know, because I had a lot of fear over it, and um, and so I went on this walk, and I thought to myself, and out of nowhere, it's like it—it almost feels like one of those God shots. Like it's kind of like you know, like you're getting sober, like you have like that 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 burning bush moment, uh-huh. which which is a, another great story that I have about that. But uh, but this one was interesting because like the so the, the voicemail that had gotten stuck in my head was three words: I hate you, like. And it was this guy that was drunk when he left it. And ironically, this guy got sober a little bit after that, right? Oh, my God. But he had no idea that he had affected me in this way, right? Wow. And and so my, so one day I just was, you know, I was staying with my folks at the time. And I just like thought, like, how can I turn this around? And like out of nowhere, it's like, well, what's the opposite? What is the opposite of hate? Is love, right? It's so so simple. It's like it's like duh, you know. Uh-huh. It's like is love, right? And if I just said, even though I can't change that guy's truth, because I was like the one thing, like I, I couldn't lie. I couldn't lie to myself and just say I'm lying to you, to myself and saying like this didn't happen because it obviously did happen, and that was like one of the, I think one of the things that was holding me back, right? But it was saying okay, but. To yourself, if you could say that to yourself, I love you because, you know, there's a reason why I'm still here. There's got to be a reason why I'm still here. There's got to be a reason why my, like, this HP higher power universe still has me here, right? Uh-huh. So that was my way of, like, rationalizing it. Like, I, the only way I can rationalize this is by saying that. And so I said it over and over and over again to the point where it's like the pain stopped. Like just like flash, and I came home. It was like one after I came home from my walk. I was like, I was kind of like shouting from the rooftops to my parents. I thought I was having that another moment, right? Uh-huh. Was like, like what's going on? I'm like, I said, I figured it out. I figured it out. It's like, what did you figure out? It's like, it's so simple. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, it's I love you. Just say, I I love you. You know, I say it over and over and over again, you know, and like, cause I couldn't, like, they were so fearful about me staying in my own place. They thought I was a danger myself. Right. Like I couldn't, there's even times where I couldn't even like hear swear words. It was like metamorphosizing. This whole hate thing was metamorphosizing any derogatory word. If somebody said where you felt aggression, you swear mean? word or whatever, I, I couldn't wear black. So I was wearing white shirts. It was this, really all this weird stuff that I was just doing. So I wouldn't be around it, you know? And like, uh, and so I was wearing only white undershirts. I wasn't wearing anything that had anything written on it. I couldn't watch any movies or any TV shows. I couldn't listen to any music that I really loved that had angry news. I had to listen to like, like really mellow stuff. It was like, you know, cause it was all this stuff that was changing. And so after that, like I, after I had that breakthrough, I reintroduced some of these things back into, into, but it was this funny way. Like I was like, because after a while, like you can't cut yourself off from any of that. Right? Really. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Yeah. So was it a medication that helped that ended up helping you, or was it just that moment? It was just that moment. I mean, that I, is amazing. But the Celexa, obviously, I think like eased eased me back because, like, you know, I think there was this there's this rush, or at least like what they were telling me when I'm trying these different medications because I tried. Prozac, I remember one point, which just made me feel like I was like looking through like a fish lens, kind of like. That's so funny because I'm on yeah. Prozac, and I know so many people who are like, I felt they felt like they were walking through like gelatin when they were on it. Oh, they really? hated it. Yeah, felt like I was wearing specific, somebody else's skin. Right? Yeah, like I have a specific friend who yeah. she just did not have a good time with Prozac, no. and it's so weird because I have no. It, I just it totally worked for me. Um, so, and I know recovery, people talk about uh, a burning bush moment, like when you have like a bright flash, a, br- a bright, a bright yeah. flash of the obvious or rude awakening. And you right. were just saying earlier that you had a burning bush moment. I did. Yeah. I didn't. I'm always jealous of people. Oh, so really? Let me hear your story. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't ever think I was going to have one. That That's was the awesome. weird thing. I think it was just something that, you know, what I've heard this about, like when, what, when artists have talked about this, like, this is like, you know. I don't act like the craft just has me in that moment. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, or the yeah. artist like says it writes the songs and like the the songs write me or whatever. You know? right. I feel like it's kind of a similar situation. Like I had, I was detoxing at the time, and I, I think I had taken these antioxidant tablets or something like that that I gotten from Whole Foods. So I started detoxing. And I remember that I was having these really cold, bad like cold sweats. You know, like, mm-hmm. like on my entire bed would just be wet, completely wet. You know. And it was like going on for like, like weeks on end. And so one of those, on one of those days, I had what I, what is you know the I guess is the burning bush moment. It's basically I, I remember like being on some park bench, and it was like somewhere like panhandle, the panhandle area that separates like Hayes Valley and uh-huh. Upper Hate. Kids playing, and it was all just like you know what do you called that the the from those 80s like rock videos of the the smoke machine and everything like that you could just see shadows of kids playing you can't i couldn't see the actual kids playing but shadows of kids playing and 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 i'm sitting on this park bench and out of nowhere is my friend joel who i hadn't seen and this is 2007 right and Uh i hadn't seen joel in seven years because he had died of an over heroin overdose i hadn't heard his voice you know right but he was dressing like how he used to dress with this uh, this auto mechanic jacket, you know, um, and uh, and the backwards baseball hat. And he had this sort of like this, like his neck was like sort of like always like kind of leaning, like kind of like a turtle lean like that. Uh-huh. You know? uh, and, you know, he started like talking to me about the things that we used to do before we had we had moved before he had moved to San Francisco and before I, way before I had moved to San Francisco, we used to go to Santa Cruz and go visit a mutual friend of ours. And he's like, you know, we used to listen to Nick Cave and Tom Waits when we <laughs> down Highway 17, da da da. I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, those are really good times. He's like, and then he says to me, so what are you doing here? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like well, you're not supposed to be here. And then I had like a, I got paused for a moment and I'm like, what? You, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, you have more work to do down there. And I didn't know what down there meant. You know, I was like, am I in purgatory? Like the back of my mind, in my dream, in the back of in my subconscious, right? You know, uh-huh. and, and then and then I woke up and I forgot the whole thing. I'm like, or maybe did I just dream that? Or was that real? Or was that because I could vividly hear his voice. Right. 
So I like, I just, like, I'm going to take a shower. So I get in the shower and as soon as the water, I never ever had, as soon as the water hit me, it was like uh, like a USB cable plugging into my system from like a computer and all that information had downloaded into my body. And I literally fell to my knees and I just start breaking down crying. And because I, that his death really affected me greatly. But, uh-huh. and that I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, like that's it. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm supposed to be of service, you know, like I didn't know it. That was like what he was basically saying. Like there's more work to be done. Yeah. You know? That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That is real. That is a cool fucking story. Yeah. So from the back of my mind, I guess that has been like, the one thing that has always saved me from ever going out again is because, like, you know. Yeah. I like how you got in the shower and, like, the whole thing downloaded. Yeah. That's that's so cool. Yeah. Talking about service, you have a page on Facebook called San Francisco Lifeline, right? Right. And what the purpose of that is, like, to help people, I imagine. Yeah, so they're all private pages, so no one that's not in recovery or 12-step programs can, can see this page. It's, right. Um, it's like a, it's a private secret group, um, that you can only get invites to if you're in recovery. Um, so, so yeah, the Oakland lifeline was the impetus. Basically this woman that lives over in the East Bay that I, you know, uh, started that. And like I had had somebody that, uh, that, I mean, I, I had added people to her, that page and like, there was like talk like, why isn't there a San Francisco lifeline? It's like somebody, and the San Francisco Fellowship had mentioned that. I, so I just like, I thought like, damn, he's right. You know, I sh- there so, should be something like, no one's doing it. So I might as well do it. Right. You know, and so I did it, you know, and uh, and now it's, it, take, it took on a life of its own. Like, I don't always like even look at it every single day. Like, right. It's like, I, I'm always, it always boggles my mind, like how it's grown, like uh, it has a life of its own. Like, it's like, I'm like, I'm like setting you free right. <laughs> and you're doing your own thing. And it's so cool. You know, it's so cool. And, uh, you know, I made some people's moderators on there and, uh, so there's been some little bit of controversy with, a. there was one thing that happened recently where somebody was kind of uh, upset that somebody that was on there that, uh, hadn't done the 12 steps, but was sober, had been sober for a long time. Cause like that. And that person was not the person. So the person that was upset was somebody that, that's been in the program for a very long time. And they didn't realize when that person was asking them questions about, so you can speak at meetings and, da, 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 and asking about how this whole thing works. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've never once like have said like, this is like a does not recognize this group page as part of being a, I would hope and anticipate that like people go ahead and respect people in the same way that they're respecting people yeah, at a meeting. with yeah. the principles and everything. But like, you know, recovery is recovery. As far as I'm concerned, if you're doing like recovery through another program, you know, even yeah. if it's not 12 steps, you have just as much right as anybody else to be in that there because that's saving your ass. I agree. You said recently, or you said that there was some kind of a, a an issue with CBD oil on the thread. I'm just curious because I've been giving that to my cat. <laughs> yeah, I think Pet cat's, CBD oil. Your cat's not an addict, is it? No, he's not. <laughs> well, actually, who knows? Yeah, he's a little crazy. Cat may need a meeting. <laughs> 
Cat Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> oh my God, I can't think of a cuter thing than that. Oh, that would kill me. Meow, meow, meow. How meow, cute. Meow, meow, meow. That would be adorable. Um, I'm gonna leave my book out. I'm gonna be a total co and leave my and leave my big book out and see what the <laughs> cat does. Th- to it. The see if he pees on it or tries to read it. Yeah. <laughs> but so, uh, what was the what was the conversation like about CBD oil for us addicts? What was the so, I mean, the reason why it had come up is because, like, you know, my dad has been taking cannabis for his cancer. He has cancer. And so um, I started, like, reading a lot about it. And I also had had a discussion with my very first sponsor. He's taken it for his uh, – he's, he's had some injuries. Uh-huh. And uh, you can take it for, for things really into pain, but also it's, you know, for anxiety and depression. And so I think the controversy around it, and I've wondered if it's been – you know, brought up at conferences because, like, they they have these you know these a conferences around all the time. Is that it's it's not going to get you high, but I right. know that there's there's types of CBD that have a high ratio of THC. And my concern about taking that is like, am I going to get high by by taking it? So there, right. there's a discussion about it, you know, with people, and like it's like as long as you're being honest with yourself and honest with your sponsor, you know, or you know, my sponsor, the current one that I have now, basically his issue was that, you know, it's like, you know, is it going to get you high? You know, are you taking it like as prescribed? Right. You know, kind of like when you're prescribed medication by your doctor, like, you know. So it's, I think it's a hot topic, especially it is. right it now. It totally you know? is. But as far as CBD is, that, that's an interest to, to yeah, me. Yeah, because I'm under the impression that CBD has no THC in it. Well, that's there what are, I was told. There are, there are those that, that, ha- that do have it. That have like so there's like like there's like eighteen to one I guess it's like it's eighteen to one like eighteen where it's like it's high CBD and low low THC you know or oh I thought it had none that's what I thought huh as far as I know the, oh, okay. most most of it most of there 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 are a couple different types that would scare me to death I know that there was an NA meeting in uh, Santa Rosa recently and somebody put meth in the coffee. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, people were having heart attacks and having to go, you know, people had to go to the ER. But that's my worst nightmare is getting accidentally high. Yeah. Oh, my God, I didn't ask for this. Because that happened to me in New Orleans. I got accidentally drunk. There was alcohol and food. Oh, wow. And, I I mean, I freaked out. I had to talk to my sponsor about it. She's like, did you try? Did you eat it to get drunk? And I was like, no, I didn't know what was in it. But I felt it and I mean for three days I had the just incessant chatter of wanting to get drunk in my right. head. Well, that's that scared me too. Like I've had conversations that, that with sponsors I've worked with before. Like you go to a Wu Tang Clan show or a, a show, you see a stoner right, band, right, like right, sleep right. or high on fire, and like there's like oodles and oodles of secondhand pot smoke in the air because that's what most of their fan base does. Right, or any show in San Francisco <laughs> for that matter. True, but I mean, there's a proportionally speaking, like right. if, if you know like a, a band specifically, like, you know. Anyways, for that, so it's, you know, um, I've had that experience where somebody like, you know, is in a mosh pit and like they're spitting beer or they're throwing beer in the air. Right. You know, and... You know, or somebody's like they pass around a joint and they're blowing smoke in your direction, and you're trying to like 
avoid yeah, it, you right. know. <laughs> My voice is like trailing off here. It's because like, um, I'm, like I'm, I'm doing the motion of like avoiding it like an obstacle course, you know. I know recently you know? At, a, at a concert, somebody was passing a joint along and I just took it and handed it to the next person. <laughs> everybody who's around me, they're people I work with. They know I'm sober. They were like, <gasps> you know what I write when I took it? They were like, no. And I'm like, and I'm just passing it. And I'm not. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny that you're being so kind to like pass on. Like I just wanted it out of my face. Really, I was like, here, give me that. I usually so I just can like, give it away. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Just put the hand all up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being on Radio Rehab. Oh Dad. yeah, it's it was been a, blast. a great conversation. Yeah, this feels very natural. I like it, it a lot. It is. It is. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again to Dan for being on the show. Thank you for listening. And I'm just thinking the whole conversation we had about CBD got me really thinking. And it is sort of a hot topic right now. And producer Shar and I have decided that we are going to have a CBD expert come on the show and explain these things so that we as a recovering community can really get a grasp on it. If you would like to contact us, the phone number is 415-496-9511. You can email us. It's radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, and you can go to radio.rehab and read my lazy-ass attempt at blogging that I rarely do. Thanks for listening. Keep coming back.